Tonight we're looking at a message entitled, On Guard. It's not a word you hear very often unless you're into fencing. Does anybody in here fence? And I'm not talking construction of fences, <laughs> but actually fencing. No? Anybody? There's a couple of people in here that actually do. Wow, Pastor Rob, I don't believe you. <laughs> not even a little bit. <laughs> Why don't you join me as we pray? Father, we come before you tonight as we look at this message, as we prepare our hearts to dive into your word and to see, Lord, the amount of deception in the world around us. May we truly be on guard. We might think, well, I read the Bible every day. I'm, I'm ready. I could defend against it, but it's not the average run-of-the-mill type of deception that we're used to. Now with AI and all of the different things being made on the internet, it's hard to even tell if something's real or not. So Lord, please help us to put on truth, to be ready, and to Lord stand for what's right. We thank you for this time in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, you know, I, I was looking at a title for the message and I thought, oh no, get ready or something like that. And I just thought, that just sounds so boring. On guard sounds more exciting. And I, and I remembered, you know, probably some TV show that I had seen growing up where there was fencing, you know, and they say on guard before they begin to fence. The word is a call. It's what's said before they begin fencing. And it means to adopt a defensive stance in readiness for an attack or a bout. Now, if you were to go on and watch, and I did, I went on and watched a couple of YouTube videos with people fencing, you know, they stand there and they look so assuming because their first position looks to me kind of lame, okay? They, they kind of turn their foot sideways and they, and they hold their hands like this with the sword in their hand. To me, that doesn't look like you're ready to do much. But as soon as they start, those guys lunge and they go after each other and they're so fast with those swords that I thought I would be dead before I even realized the guy had moved. <laughs> They're definitely ready. And tonight as we look at the word of God and the scriptures before us in Colossians, I want us to be ready with that mindset because the deception in the world around us is becoming not just like more and in every place that you could find it. It's like I said in my prayer, it's not the average run-of-the-mill deception that you might be accustomed to. There are things that are now being said and done and made on the internet. It's being very difficult to tell what the truth actually is. 1 Peter 5.8 reminds us to be sober and vigilant because our adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Now the Bible isn't like, oh, good luck then. There's a lion after you, good luck. No, we're given a direction, resist him, steadfast in the faith. Just keep that in mind because as we wrap up the message, we're gonna look a little bit more at that word faith and see how that applies. So our first point tonight is on guard against deception. Be ready because the deception that you're going to begin to see in the culture around you is going to be so very difficult to tell. When you're gonna read stuff on the internet and you're gonna think it's true. When, when you watch, how many of you guys are like just watching some of the man on the street interviews that people are having? I, I saw one today just about Donald Trump and the person was asked, do you like Donald Trump? And they said, no, he's a racist. He hates black people. And so the, the interviewer said, where do you get that from? And they said, well, it's on the internet. <laughs> and of course, everything on the internet is true. So they said, well, I got it on the internet. And they said, yeah, but how do you know it's true? And they're like, he said it. He said he doesn't like black people. And they said, where, where did he ever say that? Now, those kinds of people that just believe such things, it doesn't take much, but you and I, we are not those sorts of people. But you know what I have noticed? A lot of Christians are very gullible. We're gonna talk tonight about two things that I see Christians getting wrapped up in, and this is easy 
for Christians to be led astray. Now let's go to Colossians chapter two. We're looking at verse four. He says, now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. Look at verse eight. Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. Who is this written to? Christians, believers, exactly. So if Paul is writing this to the church at Colossae, he's warning them against deception and he's telling them to beware. You've gotta beware, you've gotta be on guard, you've gotta be paying attention. So the warning, the enemy wants to take Christians hostage through deception. He wants to take you hostage through deception. He wants to take other believers hostage through deception. So we're warned, don't be deceived by persuasive words. The wrong pursuit will lead you astray and take you captive. The word deceive means to deceive by false reasoning, by false reasoning, which means it's a flat out lie, but it happens to Christians all the time. We are the most sometimes gullible people on the planet. We want to believe the best. We want to believe things are true all the time. We want to see the best in everybody. And I don't think it's wrong that we treat everybody that way, but that in the back of our minds, we don't believe that everybody is that way. Does that make sense? Like, meaning, I, when I walk into church, just because someone says, oh, I'm a Christian, I don't just say, oh, well, here's my bank account number. Here's my social security number. I don't do that. Because someone says they're a Christian does not mean that they are. You understand? And Satan will come in and sit down and go, I'm a Christian. Other Christians will snuggle up to him and say, wow, it's so great, you guys. We're sitting with Satan. Have you met Satan before? He said he's a Christian. <laughs> the word persuasive means false speech resulting from the use of well-constructed, listen, probable arguments fine-sounding speech, probable arguments, things that sound as if they could be true, but they're not. Do you see how this could be a problem? By the way, I'll tell people when they're looking for questions, you know, sometimes you go on the internet and you type in a question, you gotta really be careful where you're reading answers from. Do you exercise discernment? If you go on YouTube and you start watching Bible teachers from all over the country and you find someone that's saying something that sounds good, it sounds true, and then you begin to listen to that person and then they, you notice, wow, that, that doesn't seem very biblical, but it's okay because the first thing he said was true. Pretty soon they have led you off the course. So you have to be very careful because you can make a doctrine if you take a Bible verse out of context, which is what deceivers do. They'll use Bible verses, take them out of context, and they'll make a doctrine out of it. Doctrines that are completely made up, doctrines of men, or well-crafted arguments that seem probable but are against the truth. A well-crafted lie always includes a good amount of truth and then twists it in an ever so subtle way, just a little bit. But if you were to go tonight down to Newport Beach and head for the island of Catalina and you left and there was fog set in and you set your compass and that compass was three degrees off, Catalina is only 27 miles away approximately, you would entirely miss the island of Catalina by only being off three degrees. See, in the beginning, it's not very much, but by the time you go out 25, 26 miles, you are way off course. And that is the problem with false teachers. So I am warning you, as the Bible warns you, to be on guard, to beware, watch out for, notice carefully, pay attention to what you hear. Exercise discernment. God has given you his Holy Spirit. You're never to check your brains in the door anywhere you go. If someone says, just believe it because I say it, then you know to run. Don't ever believe something just because someone says that you're supposed to believe it. You need to exercise discernment. Pay attention to what you read. Don't just go read, well, it's the number one bestseller. So what? Don't just read something just because. Go see who wrote it. Do you do any background research on who wrote the book? 
Do you? Do you look for the doctrine? Because I will tell you this, and I will tell you this, that you know, when you go to our bookstore, you can be safe in that bookstore because we have scrutinized those books, their authors, and if any of them, who may be totally fine right now, go south, we will yank their books so fast they'll make their head spin. Because we want you to know when you come here that you can be safe. Now you say, well, why should we trust you? Don't. See? You see what I'm saying? Don't. You're to be like Bereans. You're to go in your Bible and see if what's being taught here lines up with Scripture. You're to scrutinize every word that comes from this pulpit, and I don't care who's standing here. You don't just say, well, just because, you know, they've done this for so long. Oh, that is very dangerous, my friend, nowadays. You know how many people who taught for so long have gone south for the winter and have never come back? Remember that deceivers will use human reasoning and wisdom to try to take you captive. Human reasoning, not God's wisdom, not God's ways, man's ways. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. 1 Corinthians 1, 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. You go out and you try to share the gospel with the unbelieving world, they think you're stupid. That's okay, I am stupid. It's totally all right. It's not offensive to me. Someone says you're dumb, doesn't bother me. I think I'm dumb too. <laughs> See, you, you could call me dumb tonight after, you're so stupid, eh, it's fine. <laughs> you didn't hurt my feelings. If I thought I was super smart and you call me dumb, I might be offended. But I, but I don't think that I am. So then it doesn't bother me, right? But the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who of, uh, of us who are being saved, what is it? The power of God. Amen. The gospel has power. The world looks at it and says, oh, that's stupid. God sent his son, like Richard Dawkins. God sent his son to die. What a bully. Doesn't understand what God did for him on the cross, nor does he care. He's a fool. Look at verse 19, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Where is Richard Dawkins? Where's Stephen Hawking's now? Has not God made the foolish, made foolish the wisdom of this world? Yes, he has. Then why would you put any stock into it? The wisdom of the world? Too many Christians are cherry picking little things from the Bible and some worldly sayings. And I heard a Christian not too long ago talk about the, brought up the horoscope. I'm sorry, Christians, brothers and sisters, we ought not to be messing around with any of that garbage. The occult, get out of it, stay away from it. If you haven't noticed, it's all over the place now. Satan is openly parading himself around the world and our country. And we ought to get as far away from that stuff as we possibly can. Has God not made the wisdom of this world foolishness? For since the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. Oh, they sit around with the philosophers and they postulate as to how we got here. They come up with all kinds of really stupid ways that we got here, right? Uh, it just all happened. That seems totally legit and scientific, right? Like there was just nothing and then everything exploded and here we are. Now if I said it that lame, you go, that does sound kind of stupid. But if we add in millions of years and a bunch of scientific words, all of a sudden it becomes plausible. You see? It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. God's like, okay, I don't care. It's foolishness to the world, but to those who recognize what it really is, is the power of God unto salvation. It's the only way. Now, Peek says the best sense of the phrase cheat is actually to lead you as prey. It also has the ideas of robbing and plundering. Their goods were the salvation they had received from Christ, and both the Gentile and Jewish teachers endeavored to deprive them of these by perverting their minds and leading them off the truths of Christianity. 
So think about how the world would love to plunder you and lead you off the truths of Christianity. What would be the purpose of that? If the enemy succeeds in getting you out of the truth and getting us as believers out of and away from the truth so that we're not living the truth, then we're no longer a threat. You understand as long as you stay in your Bible, as long as you stand for the truth, as long as you speak the truth in love, you are a threat. You understand that? When you cease to do that, you cease being a threat. You wanna be a threat to the kingdom of hell? Be in your Bible, don't be deceived, don't be foolish. Don't waste your time picking your nose and doing whatever else you do. I mean, maybe you do have to pick your nose, but. The Bible's definition of philosophy is human understanding or wisdom by implication in contrast with divinely revealed knowledge. It's listed as human understanding or human wisdom or philosophy. The World Wide Web defines philosophy. It says the noun philosophy means the study of proper behavior and the search for wisdom. Well, we've already discovered in 1 Corinthians that the wisdom of the world is foolishness. So the world is actually looking for foolish things to try to make sense of their existence. Now, if you drive a Prius, please don't be offended or be really offended, I don't care. Do you guys ever, what well, was the show? Uh, Jeremy Clarkson has a show, it's an auto show, England. What's that, what's that name of that show? Top Gear, thank you. He was ranting about the, the Prius and he, and he went on about what an idiotic, stupid car it was. He said, and here's why, he said, now, I, I hope this offends you if the reason you bought it was to be friendly to the environment because that car is the most unfriendly to the environment that you can get. Because he said, they mine the nickel in one country, they fly it to another country to build the battery, then they fly all those batteries to another country to put them in the car, and then once the car is all done and you go to recycle the car, you can't recycle the batteries. But I'm being so good on the environment, look at me with my vegan sticker on the back. I'm sorry, if you're a vegan and I offended you, I apologize. <laughs> it's just like m most of the time people don't ri drive around and say, I eat meat on the back of their car. It's like, so what? We don't care. You eat, you're vegan? That's fine. You don't have to tell everybody. <laughs> Neither did the CrossFit. <laughs> we know you exercise. Okay, we're going to move on. I'll get some emails tomorrow. I can't believe... I can't either, actually. I, I, don't, I don't know why that came out. The Greek roots philo meaning love and sophos wisdom. When someone studies philosophy, they want to understand how and why people do certain things and how to live a good life. In other words, they want to know the meaning of life. Now, isn't that kind of a catch-22, though, because... They're using philosophy to try to know the meaning of life, yet when they look at the power of the gospel, they think it's foolishness, and so they try to find meaning in all of these other things, which is ultimately what I want you to understand. This, this whole stuff going on right now in June, that's what this is all about. It's about people trying to find their identity. They're trying to figure out who they are. They don't know why they're here. They're lost. Now we can, I, I think, fully boycott any company that you want to. Just don't attack individuals in the process. Because they're people made in the image of God who need to know the love of Jesus Christ. So just remember that, that there's a battle for souls going on and these people are just simply trying to find meaning in life. I think many of them, now there's a good many of them, they're just running headlong into sin thinking that that's going to fulfill them. But do you remember that some of you did so not so long ago? And Paul writing to the church at Corinth said, such were some of you, but you were washed and you were sanctified and you were justified. But we sometimes forget that we were those things. I don't mean we forget we were justified or washed. We forget that we too, we too once had the judgment of God standing against us until we received Christ as our Lord and Savior. So we need to have compassion on those in the world. Now, by definition, the philosopher is a man or woman that would use human wisdom to counteract widely revealed truths about God. 
They're trying to find some other way to make sense of, of the world around them, except they exclude God. That's like the very first thing that they do. I'm trying to make sense of what I see going on in the world around me, but there's no God. And so they write God off and then they try to make sense. And when you look at their logic and their reason, and you and I as Christians can look and see, wow, that's really foolish. Why do you believe that? Well, they can believe that because they've written God off. And if you remember, you studied Romans chapter one with Pastor Jack uh, not so long ago, and you would be going through the downward spiral of a human being or humanity when they reject God. So in the midst of deception, be on guard. I got two things tonight uh, that we're gonna look at in the way of some of the deception that we're witnessing, right? Number one, UFOs, UFOs. Las Vegas residents say they exist. And if Las Vegas residents say that they do, they must. <laughs> sure, there's nothing else going on in Vegas. Nearly half of Americans say people somewhat like ourselves live on other planets. Hmm. A Gallup poll says while Americans are still inclined to think UFOs are not alien spacecraft, close to half believe alien life forms exist beyond Earth. A June 2019 poll found, listen to this, 49% of Americans believing there are people somewhat like ourselves living on other planets. A much larger 75% said that some uh, form of life exists on another planet. 75%? That would mean some Christians believe that too. Don't raise your hand. You'd be like, oh, I'm one of them. <laughs> Question, do not answer this out loud because I don't want you to look silly in a second because I'm gonna give you the answer, okay? It's a rhetorical question. Did God create life anywhere else in our solar system? Don't answer out loud because he did not. Well, how can you say with absolute certainty well, I'm glad you asked. I didn't ask. You did, though. <laughs> Turn to Genesis chapter 1, verse 14. Let's, let's have a look and see if we can use some good old-fashioned reasoning and logic to figure out if there's life on any other planet. Genesis 1, verse 14. Then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night. Let them be for signs and for seasons, for days and years. So what were the sun and the stars put into the heavens for? Marking of time. Are you following me? That's it. Well, then why are there so many? I mean, there's some way out there that we can't see. I think because God knew, well, they're going to get the Hubble telescope and they're going to get the space shuttle and they're going to build rockets and... Elon Musk is going to launch a Tesla at Mars, you know, and miss. Try to put it in orbit. Literally did. Try to launch a Tesla into Mars and put it around the orbit around Mars. And he totally missed. So now there's a Tesla flying out there somewhere. <laughs> Heading for Neptune. The free Tesla, if you can catch it. <laughs> Let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Then God made two great lights. He made the greater light to rule the day, which we call the... Very, you don't say that with a lot of confidence. <laughs> the greater light he put in the day is called the? And the lesser? The moon. Very good. To rule the night. And to divide light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Now, notice there's no mention of life anywhere in that sphere. Are you following me? Okay, good. Every other sphere that God made, he states that he put life. Okay? So look at verse 20. Then God said, let the waters abound with the abundance of living creatures. Let the birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So, so now we've got the, the firmament, which is the place where the birds fly. And we've got water and we've got animals, all kinds of creatures living in the waters, right? Now look at verse 24. Then God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind, cattle, creeping thing, and beast of the earth, each according to its kind, and it was so. God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. So all the spheres on our planet were told God created life. Life exists everywhere on our planet. 
under the water, out of the water, in the sky, in the mountains, in the desert, doesn't matter where you go, you're going to find life everywhere except beyond our atmosphere. No mention of life anywhere beyond our atmosphere. Okay, well, then what are they there for? I'm glad you asked again. Turn to Psalm 19. They're there to simply declare God's glory and his righteousness. That's it. You look out there and you go, whoa, that's amazing. And I'll show you a couple pictures in just a moment. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. You mean the stars and the universe has something to say? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. When you look up at it, you cannot look up at it and go, I can't believe an explosion made all this. I mean, you can, but you have to use human wisdom. Are you following me? Psalm 97, verse 6, the heavens declare his righteousness and all the people see his glory. What kind of glory? Just put the pictures up. Pictures like this. Have you ever been in the desert? If you have never been in the desert, repent. (laughs) Go out to the desert. Find a nice clear night. Go out to Joshua Tree. And from horizon to horizon, that's all you see is stars. It's absolutely beautiful. Go to the next pictures. Those are nebulas. Isn't that wild? It's like, why did God do that? Just to show us his glory. Just to show us his righteousness. Huh? This is the, tele- the Hubble telescope takes pictures of this stuff. And they, we go, whoa, oh, that, uh, 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 stars being born. And then we made a movie about it. It wasn't as good as that. Go <laughs> well, the next thing. The planets. Right? Isn't that beautiful? Look at that. Why are they there? To declare God's glory. That's all. You look up there and you see the night sky. You look up at the moon and you say, God, you're awesome. That's it. Because, why did God do it? Because he can. He's God. He doesn't need a reason. Right? Let's look at biology. Let's look at one of the lies of biology. WebMD says about sex and gender. Sex is generally determined at birth. Now notice this. Generally determined at birth. According to the baby's chromosomes, uh, I'll leave the other word out. And anatomy, there are three features that are used to determine biological sex. Gender, now they're making a differentiation between the two. See how this gets sticky? Gender is a multifaceted social system. Wait, so humanity made up just men and women decided to make up men and women? It's just a social construct? There are some consistencies, but it can be concluded that gender is not predetermined based on sex. Oh. Now, we understand that the world believes these things, right? Okay? But Christians, they're, like I said, we're gullible. And if some doctor or scientist says something, then all of a sudden we go, oh, they must be right because they have a PhD next to their name. I mean, Shadrach, do you have a PhD next to your name? No, I do not. No. If I have anything next to my name, it would be like Gardner for 13 years or something like that. Like that's, well, how in the world are you here? I ask myself that question a lot. (laughs) But if you listen to someone based on their PhD, what does that say about you? What does that say about you? You can only listen to somebody if they have a PhD. Oh, wait, wait. I need, to, I need to speak to the pastor. Why? I need to speak to Pastor Jack. Well, why do you need to speak to Pastor Jack? I, we get people called. They, I will only speak to Pastor Jack. Is he the only one on staff with the Holy Spirit? Did I miss something? Right? If you think that I can only talk to somebody that has this, that, or the other, you really pigeonhole yourself. 
Now, I'm not also saying on the opposite side that you just go talk to anybody on the street that sounds like they know what they're talking about. I'm telling you that by the Holy Spirit, you need to exercise discernment. You go to a church and there's no Cadillac sitting in the parking lot that the pastor owns, and you say, oh, the pastor doesn't own a Cadillac. Well, I can't go to church here. What does that say? He drives a, drives a Volkswagen. I would love to own a Volkswagen. You know how much those things are right now? The old ones? Listen to what the Bible says. We saw what WebMD said, and that's only one. You guys, you could go, you could go nuts on the internet reading all kinds of stuff. I just give you one thing. The Bible says the truth, Genesis 1:27. This should blow your mind, I hope, right? God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Listen and listen carefully. For a Christian to deface the image of man created in God's image, he must deface the very image of God. If you as a Christian say that, that gender and sex are not the same thing, you are deconstructing man who is made in the image of God and therefore deconstructing God himself. You cannot, you cannot make that argument. But sadly, I've heard too many Christians tell me that these are not the same thing, that gender and sex are different. Well, just to prove it to you, Genesis 2.24 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now notice that in Genesis 1, in verse 27, we read male and female, and now we read man and woman. Did you notice that? Did you know that one is the, the sex, if you will, the biology, and the other one is what we are, that the world says, well, your gender is whatever you decide and your sex is what you're assigned at birth. This is your biology and your gender. They're the same thing in the Bible. There's no differentiation. God views the marriage of Adam and Eve as the pattern for all mankind. Marriage was not invented by the state of California. Amen. Marriage was not invented by the United States of America. It was not invented by China or Russia or Africa, it was invented by God Almighty. And it is a holy institution. And nobody has any right changing what God has made because what God has made is the best. And everything else is a cheap ripoff and an imitation. Do you want the, like growing up, I remember telling my mom and dad I wanted a remote control car for Christmas. Mom, if you're watching, please don't be upset with me. She never heard the truth. <laughs> One Christmas I said, I really want this remote control car. And I got, I got a remote control little vehicle that looked cool, but it was really slow. And what I wanted was what I had seen some of my friends have, which was this remote control car that you put it in the dirt. And I don't know what the infatuation is with men and either things peeling out or roosting, right? So if you're in the desert, you know what I'm talking about, you're on a motorcycle in the desert and you pump, you, you throttle it and dump the clutch. And as men, we have to watch the dirt fly <laughs> behind us. That's just the way we are, right? It's the same. It doesn't matter where you go. If it's a boat on the water, they want the same. They want to, they punch it and the water shoots out. It creates a roost. You, maybe women are just like, what's a roost? Like a rooster tail. It's what it looks like, right? And the bigger and the farther that that vehicle does it, the better, right? Or a car that's just burning rubber and all four tires are just, you know. Like for men, we're like, that's awesome. I don't know why I brought that up. I had a point and I lost it. I got so into the roost. But the world around us has deconstructed everything that God has made. Everything that God has made that's holy, a holy institution, the world has taken and has made it dirty. Oh, and it's a cheap ripoff. That's what I was getting to the point of, that it's a cheap ripoff. So this RC car was a cheap ripoff. It didn't peel out. Then the next Christmas, they bought me the real deal. And I put that thing together, and the first thing I did, I charged it up, took it over to the park near my house, put it in some sand, and it threw a beautiful roost. It was no longer a cheap ripoff. But see, the world will have you believing that what you have, that cheap ripoff, it's sufficient, right? 
If, and I want to say this to spare you. If, you. if you feel like a woman trapped in a man's body or vice versa, and you go get an irreversible surgery, here's the problem. Once it's done, it's too late. And what we're seeing now on the internet, which the government would love to bury, is people coming out and saying, I regret what I've done. It's irreversible. And now I can never be satisfied as I was designed to be. Do you understand the damage? And Satan's laughing all the way to the bank. And so are the corporations right now. It's all about money. Yeah? It's right. It's about money, isn't it? I I better get off my soapbox. We're going to move on. (laughs) Matthew 19. The Pharisees came to Jesus to test him and said to him, it is, or is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? He answered and said, have you not read that he who made them from the beginning made them male and female? So here's Jesus reiterating what was written and he says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother, be joined to his wife, the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. This is the pattern for marriage and sexual relations. One man, XY, one woman, XX, for life. That's it. So the word of God does not separate gender from sex. Genesis 127 refers to the creation of male and female, which is sex. In Genesis 2, which I had stated a moment ago, we read the creation of man and woman, gender in more detail. Specific male and female pronouns, she, her, he, his, are used to link male with man and female with woman throughout the Genesis account. Sex is directly connected to gender. Moreover, after God finished his creation, he declared it very good. So God's good design is for only two genders or sexes, and this design is confirmed by our biology, says an article by Answers in Genesis on gender and biology. Christians, we cannot allow ourselves to be taken captive by this vain and hollow philosophy. We also need to be on guard against deceivers, which is unrepentant mankind taken captive by the enemy. That's the the vessel, if you will, that the enemy uses to try to deceive you. That's somebody, and this is how it often works, somebody that you care a lot about suddenly begins to tell you, well, did you know the Bible doesn't really say? You know how many times I've heard that the Bible doesn't really say? Or does the Bible really say? Well, who was the first person to ask that sort of question in the Bible? Satan himself. So when you hear something like that, Your little buzzer should go off. Warning, warning, warning. Danger, Will Robinson, danger. (laughs) You need to be aware. Something's going on. This This is not right. As soon as someone says, the Bible, Jesus never spoke against homosexuality. Have you heard that argument? Did he need to? He also never directly talked about abortion. He also never directly talked about a lot of things that we know are wrong. Does that mean it's okay to do them? No, but here's the thing. He defined what the marital relation is supposed to be. Why would he need to say anything else? He set the standard. He said, here's the standard. That's it. Anything else outside of that is a deviant, deviance away from his original intended design. So this person could be a supervisor, a coworker, or a boss could be a family member, could be a spouse. But listen to these verses, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13 says, such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. They look like they're speaking the truth. They look like Christians. We have people filled in pulpits today across the country claiming to be Christians and then saying things like, God's a female. It's insane. 2 Timothy 2.26, that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. They don't even realize that they're doing his will. Did you know that? They don't even realize it. They're totally POWs and they don't even know it. Philippians 3.18. For many walk of whom I told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame 
who set their mind on earthly things. Isn't that what we see right now in June? Their glory is in their shame. They glorify their shame. Open in public in front of children. They've set their minds on earthly things. 2 Peter 2.1. But there were also false prophets among you, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction and many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with what? Deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. It's pretty harsh, isn't it? The person, the man, the woman that takes a child of God and twists them will meet sudden destruction. Jesus said for those that would stumble a little child, it would be better for them to have a millstone tied around their neck and thrown into the depths of the ocean. Be on guard against the real enemy, Satan, demons, and fallen angels. It says in 2 Corinthians 10, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God. For the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Every single thought. Every single word, every single ideology, every single philosophy will stand in judgment before God Almighty. Ephesians 6.11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the schemes of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Your and my battle is not against fallen humanity. It's against the very forces of Satan and demons and hell itself. And that is not a battle that we can fight with swords guns, armor. It's a spiritual battle that must be fought in the spiritual realm. That's why we're told in 2 Corinthians that our weapons are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. When you know the truth and you hold the truth up against a lie, the lie cannot stand against the truth. It never has in all of history since Christ rose from the dead and before There's never been a time that a lie has been able to stand against the truth. Lies come and go. Rulers come and go. Despots come and go. But the church remains. Because there's nothing that the world can do to snuff out the church. And you just need to remember that. Be on guard against the goal of the enemy, which I already said was to keep people away from God through deception. Romans 1, go read this on your own time, talks about this and the downward spiral of how men began to worship the creation rather than the creator. Now let's look at our second point tonight. On guard in the faith. Colossians 2 verse 6. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And listen to this, you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Wow, isn't that amazing? You don't seem very excited about that. Do you know what that means? What's the, like, what's the most famous person or place you've ever been and, and you were just like, whoa, that's super cool? <laughs> Nowhere, huh? Oh, okay. <laughs> Who's the most famous, famous person you've ever been around? Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. Huh? Jack Hibbs. <laughs> <laughs> I was with Pastor Jack in Washington, D.C. one time and, you know, in Washington, D.C., if the president or somebody like that kind of power in D.C. was going to travel in their, their motorcade, right? They shut streets down. So we're walking, and all of a sudden, it's like everybody stop. The D.C. police stop everybody, and all of a sudden, this motorcade comes ripping through. And I'm not kidding. We were standing right here on the driveway, and the whole motorcade drove right. We could have spit on the window of the car. 
I'm not saying that we would ever have done that. I'm just trying to make an illustration of how close we were, okay? So the, probably the president of the United States then, Obama, probably drove right in front of us, and the whole motorcade went by, and the last SUV, the Secret Service sit in there, and they've got their ARs, and they're sitting facing out backward. The windows popped. I mean, it was like, whoa. Like if, if in that moment you had made too quick of a move, you probably would have been shot dead. Like that's like, that's nothing compared to what you and I have. Nothing. You understand you're an ambassador for Christ? You don't feel like it. You look in the mirror. I definitely don't look like it. When I look in the mirror, I don't see an ambassador of Christ. I see a middle-aged man starting to look like his dad more and more every day. You have to be reminded of this, right? The governor says something. We all oh, no. Wait a minute. Who's your daddy? Huh? Right? What are you afraid of? Man, John the Baptist straight up stood up to Herod and said, it is wrong for you to have your brother's wife. What? And he was afraid of him. Remember? I think his wife's name was Herodias. She said, give me John the Baptist's head on the platter. And he's like, oh, that's not a good idea. I mean, he reluctantly did it, but for a, a guy like that to be worried about some, the guy looked like a biker, ate locusts. I mean, he's wild looking dude. Like he's nuts, right? So why, why was he so afraid? Because he was an ambassador of Christ, the living God. So in the midst of attack, remain steadfast in Christ. The word steadfast means a support, a foundation. It denotes strength or steadfastness. We're told in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Immovable, steadfast, daily continuing to march forward. Remember that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church because the church is taking the fight to the gates of hell. We're not staying here all holed up in the church, worried about what hell might be happening out there. No, we go outside and we're like, all right, I'm not gonna worry about what's going on in the world around me. Oh no, California is going down the tubes, it's unsafe. Oh, was there ever a time in the world where it was actually safe for people? You know what you need to do? We need to have a night. We need to have, I'm, I'm not saying that I'm going to do this. I'm just saying it would be great if we had a night where we had some of you that came out of communism share your stories and embolden the church to be able to hear how you can live under such tyrannical rule and still be a Christian. Because I hear some of, some of the stories of the people in this church and I'm amazed that they escaped communism under threat of, hey, you, you, you try to leave and we'll kill you. And they're like, man, well, go ahead and kill me. I'm out of here, right? But we are rooted and built up in him. Rooted speaks of sustainment and nourishment, it's past tense. And built up speaks of the solidarity, it's present tense. One's past tense, one's present tense. We're told in Ephesians 3.17 that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love and were established which means cause to believe, verify, or increase in inner strength. Luke chapter six, verse 47 says, whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He's like a man building his house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when the flood rose, the stream beat vehemently against that house and it did not shake it for it was founded on the rock. Christian, that you would have your life built on the rock of Jesus Christ not on the prevailing philosophies of the world around us. It's all sinking sand. Walk in him. That's in Christ. The pursuit of the right thing will keep you centered and steadfast. As you've received Christ, so walk in him. Walk in him. Live in him. Established in the faith. Romans ten seventeen says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You have small faith, how much are you in the word? 
You afraid of what's going on in the world? How much are you in the word? Maybe you need to turn off MSLSD and you need to get back in the Bible. <laughs> I watch Fox. I like that's any better. Get in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 2.5, your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but the power of God. 1 Corinthians 16.13, watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. Let all you do be done in love. So what is faith? Turn to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Hebrews 11.1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Evidence and substance, those are things. It's not just a, you know, like a Disneyland faith. Oh, I hope it's true. Anything is possible if you just believe. Magic in the stars. And everybody's like, oh, it's so great. <laughs> then you go back to work tomorrow and all your problems are still there. And if I just go back to Disneyland, then I'll be happy again. Because that philosophy doesn't work. It's garbage. The whole place is an amusement park. Don't take anything Disney says serious. They are trying to amuse people. To amuse means to think. You put an A in front, of it, in front of it, it means to do the opposite of it. You go there to not think, right? If you want to think, where do you go? Mountains, beach, right? You go somewhere where you can be alone and think and you ponder God's creation and you, and you sit and you think, how do I get out of this situation? Or what does God want me to do with this? Or whatever, right? You fast, you pray, you seek the Lord. You don't, you don't when you're trying to make a big life decision, you know what I need to do? I need to go to Disneyland. <laughs> That's not what you do. Faith, Augustine said, is to believe what we do not see, and the reward of faith is to see what we believe. Faith is to believe what we do not see, and the reward of faith is to see what we believe. So let's take a little test really fast. You ready? Okay, everybody sit up straight. Take a deep breath. Okay, good. Second Corinthians 13, five. Examine yourselves. Are you all gonna do this so you can sit here and go, oh, that applies to someone else, not me. This is written to all of us. Let's all do it right now. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. Do you not know yourself that Jesus Christ is in you? We're going to put an end tonight. If someone is in here that's truly born again, and you've been walking around going, oh, I don't know if I'm saved or not, we're going to put an end to that right now, okay? Examine yourself. You're going to put yourself on trial. Number one, do you have works that prove your faith? Okay? Now, don't say yes so fast. <laughs> do you live what you claim to believe? Are you a Christian because you have received Jesus Christ into your life? Let's remove church attendance serving in church, and Christian clothing. <laughs> well, what's left? <laughs> what evidence is there that you are a believer? When no one is around, what do you watch? When no one is around, what are you listening to? When no one is around, how do you talk to your wife? When no one is around, how do you talk to your husband? When no one is around, how do you talk to your children? You guys are so quiet. <laughs> when no one is around, what do you do? See, it's easy to say, well, I'm a Christian, I go to church. Mm, wrong answer. You've, you've heard me say this, right? Sitting in the church doesn't make you a Christian any more than sitting in the garage makes you a car. You understand? James 2.15 says, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Faith without works is dead. We're not saved by works. We're saved by grace through faith. Amen. It's not of yourselves. You don't earn it. But what comes after that is a change of the way you live. Amen. If you are truly born again, you will live differently. Now, when I came to Christ, drugs went away immediately. Immediately. The bad mouth, pornography, those things took a little bit longer. But you know what? It's, it's going to be something. And stop blaming everything on demons. I have a demon of this and I got this. No, you don't have a demon of anything. You have a lack of self-control. You have a lack of self-discipline. You have 
an anger issue that you need to work on. Stop blaming everybody else and everything else. Take responsibility for yourself. If you're not meeting whatever God's word says to do, he's given you everything that you need to do it. Don't make excuses. Well, I'm just a cowboy, and that's the way it is. I'm just a surfer, and that's the way it is. I'm just a sailor, and I... And I those are all cop-outs. Jesus Christ didn't, didn't die on the cross for you and rise from the dead so that you could continue on living the way you've been living prior to having received him into your life. James 2.18 says, Some will say you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. Question number two, do you love or are you loving? We're told in Mark 12, the first of the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The first, this is the first commandment. The second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The, the problem that we have in our world is not that we don't love ourselves. It's actually the opposite problem. We love ourselves too much. And we need to esteem others. Biblically, we need to esteem others better than ourselves. What, what would the church look like if we all esteem, not, not Wednesday night service, but, but Sunday morning people? <laughs> Could you imagine if they esteemed each other better than themselves, right? They come in, they're like, that's my chair. Did you know that's my chair? That's my parking spot. That's my chair. <laughs> you know, what if they came in and said, no, 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 I saved this for you. Huh? We saved it for you. Wouldn't that make people, What? Wow, what kind of church is? I know you clap now, but Sunday morning will be different. <laughs> Galatians 5:22. The fruit of the spirit is Jack said it on Sunday, love. Is there love in your life? Do you know how much I give to this church? I don't care. Neither does God. Are you loving? Are you loving? So important is this that Paul, at the end of 1 Corinthians 13, in, chapter, in verse 13, he says, now abide faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these three is love. That's what the world will actually know us by. The church is the cure for June. Do you know that? But where's the church? The church is the cure. The church has the gospel. The church has the cure. And I don't mean this church only. I mean the church. Where's the church in America right now? William Booth said, faith and works should travel side by side, step answering step like the legs of a man walking. First faith, then works, then faith again, then works again, until they can scarcely distinguish which is one and which is the other. Faith and works. Just becomes your natural stride. Right? A.W. Tozer said, the Bible recognizes no faith that does not lead to obedience, nor does it recognize any obedience that does not spring from faith. The two are opposite sides of the same coin. Church, be careful in the world in which you live. There's a little song that I used to sing to a plumber when he would try to be vulgar with me. He knew I was a Christian and he was testing me like every day. And so he would say raunchy things to me to try to get a rise out of me. And I would put my fingers in my ears and I'd say, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. And that's all I would do. And if he tried to show me something, I'd cover my eyes and I'd say, be careful, little eyes, what you see. And that's all I would do. And he would, and then you know what he would do? He would get loud. Ah, nah, nah, nah. And he would try to antagonize me. And then I would laugh at him. I'd just laugh. He was an antagonist. I grew up with an antagonist cousin and I knew if he ever sees me, if he ever gets a rise out of me, he'll continue to do it. The best thing that you can ever do is never give them one moment. Never one moment. I think of the apostle Paul or Peter, Polycarp, 
at the end of their lives, the threats to recant Christ, you can almost see a smile on their face. Do your worst. We're going to kill you. Go ahead. You send me straight to heaven. The sooner the better. We're going to chop your head off. I hope it's sharp. Is it sharp? Did you sharpen it? I don't want it only going like halfway through. I want all the way through, right? We live in an age of deception. And the deception that's coming with the deep fake and the AI, AI, AI now, they, they're saying they're going to rewrite all religion and make it right. Really? You've got to be careful and you've got to be on guard. Father, we thank you for this night, for your word that's living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And there is no way that without your word, we can stand in this age. There's no way without your word, we won't be taken captive by vain and hollow philosophies. The only way, God, that we can stand that we can be wise, that we can see people come to know Jesus, that we can keep putting one foot in front of the other until you take us home, is by your Holy Spirit and through your word. God, I pray that you would pour out a blessing tonight on your church, on your saints, wherever they may be. Some are alienated, some are watching. Maybe they feel alone. Right now, would you remind them of your great love for them? And maybe there's someone sitting in this room tonight, surrounded by people, yet feels alone. May tonight they feel your touch, O oh God. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon this place and have your way in us. We surrender to you and we close in this song tonight. We want to bring you glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.